Mark chapter 6 and beginning to read at verse 14. Mark 6 and verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a, gr had a, grunge, a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For where Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and, said, and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorrow, sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately... The king sent an, execution, an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Amen. This is God's word. The passage that we've just read is one of the saddest in the entirety of the Bible. It records the events surrounding the death of John the Baptist. John, as we know, was a special man, chosen for a special mission. He was that forerunner, the forerunner of the Messiah himself. He was the very fulfillment of several Old Testament prophecies. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets to come, and he was the last martyr of the Old Testament and the first of the new. John was a powerful preacher. He was a fearless man. He was 
a true man of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself even said of John, and I love how the King James says it, Among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Well, this passage reveals the details and the gruesomeness of John's death. It also records to us the death of something else. This passage records to us the death of a conscience. Our text speaks of a man named Herod. He was the complete opposite of John. He was a wicked, wicked man. A man who ruled over one-fourth of Palestine at that time. His father was Herod the Great. Someone who this next month we will become very much knowing about. He was the guy in charge who was ruling when Jesus was born. It was this man's father who ordered that all those babies be born at a certain age throughout the land. When Herod died, the emperor divided his kingdom into four parts. He got a quarter. And one part was given to the man in our text this morning. He wasn't really a king. He was more of a tetrarch. That means those who are a ruler of a, th- of a fourth part. He was a wicked man. And he demanded his people, even though he only had a quarter of the land, to still call him king. Herod ruled, but he was banished to now what we know as France in 39 AD. Why? Because even his own people couldn't stand him, how wicked and vile he was. Our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 13, 32 summed up the character of Herod in one word. He called him a fox. If any of you have got chickens, you will know that the fox is one of the animals that you dislike the most. Why? Because it's cunning, it's crafty, and it's wicked. Kills the chickens, shakes them to death, and then leaves them. Might eat one or two, but that's it. We will talk more about this man as we move through the passage. But what we see in these verses is something that is serious, something this week that has shook me as your pastor to the very core, and that is the conscience of a man. What we see in these verses is a picture of a person who can sin against their conscience to the point that they're capable of anything. It's possible to ignore the warnings of your heart and your soul and your mind until it can be heard no more. It is possible to so deaden the conscience that it no longer stands as that barrier between the individual and any sin that they choose to commit. 
This is a serious subject, and one I will confess this morning that I can merely skim the surface on. But it shows us why people can do things that they do in our day without remorse or guilt. They have seared the conscience so much that it feels no thing and no longer warns them about any evil that they do. Spurgeon says this about the conscience. A man who fears not God will break all his laws with an easy conscience. But one, one who is the favorite of heaven, who has been indulged to sit at royal banquets, who knows the eternal love of God to him, cannot bear that there should be any evil way in him that might grieve the spirit and bring dishonor to the name of Christ. I'll read that again. A man who fears not God will break all his laws with an easy conscience. But one who is the favorite of heaven, who has been indulged to sit at royal banquets, who knows the eternal love of God to him, cannot bear that there should be any evil way in him that might grieve the spirit and bring dishonor to the name of Christ. Wow. We hear the old phrase, it was a little sin, or it was a wee white sin, as our grannies used to call it when I was growing up. And yet, sin is that barrier between us and God. If you're to start to do something, the Bible says that is a sin, dear saint, your conscience will and should rise up and tell you to stop. But if you have no time for God, and this morning no time for his word, you will live your life how you want to live it. And you will please your life how you want to please it with your conscience not doing anything for you. That's the world we live in today. Many people are in such trouble today. They have adopted a philosophy that says, if it feels good, do it. I keep yelling the word heresy. It's heresy. You do not live your life by your feelings. But the people that does, that does do that, that if it feels good, just go ahead and do it. What harm is there? They live to the flesh and not to God. They do as they please and their conscience never really bothers them. This morning, if I speak to you, wake up. If you live your life doing it as how you feel, I urge you this morning, waken up. 
the most dangerous thing that any person can do is to sin against the truth. Paul tells us that sinning against a good conscience leads to spiritual shipwreckness. A good conscience is one that knows the truth and it desires to be obedient to it. Brothers and sisters, this morning we need to be men and women if we are Christ's with a good conscience. Because the passage this morning that we read off is the death of a conscience. And so as we open up this passage, first of all, we're going to see Herod's confusion in verses 17 through 20. And I don't worry, I didn't make another typo in my notes. We need to see what his confusion was before we go back to those first few verses. Because when Herod heard about the ministry of Jesus and about the miracles that Jesus was performing and what he was doing and what he was teaching, Herod thought that Jesus was indeed John the Baptist raised from the dead. And our third point is going to be going back to those verses in 14 through 16. But we need to consider the background of why he thought the way he did. We need to consider that he believed that somehow John had come back from the dead. Verses 17 through 29 are those sort of closed brackets, those parenthetical passage in which, in which one of them, it's inside two greater movements. And in these verses, we're, we're transported back in time to the events surrounding John the Baptist's death. And here Mark allows us to have that flashback into the very mind of Herod. These verses reveal to us a soul that is in conflict. Herod is fighting a battle. A battle against the flesh and a battle against the spirit. He's confused. He's, he's um, conflicted in what he's to do. Because we're told in verses 17 and 18 that, that Herod had arrested John. He arrested him not because of, you know, saying the odd word against him. No. John had courage. John looked this man in the eye and he says, you are a sinful man. You are a wicked man. You're a man who's done so many evil things, and one of them is who sits beside you. He'd married his brother's wife. He'd taken her. He'd fallen in love with her. And now he's even taken, some would say, his half-niece. They had an affair, and they left their spouses, and they married one another. It was this arrangement that John repeatedly condemned over and over again. Every time Herod heard John, John preached with faithfulness. He preached with courage. Herod was no doubt upset by this, but it seems that there was someone else in the background even more upset. Herodias, Herod's so-called wife. And between the two of them, no doubt her chirping in his ear and him not liking what he was hearing, they had John thrown into prison. 
what they did there is not the proper response to biblical preaching. When a preacher takes the Bible and preaches the truth from it, there are times. And just remember that I sit where you sit some Sundays and have my soul fed from the Word. And there are times when it seems like that Word gets a little too close where we're living. It's like that age-old two-by-four right between our eyeballs. And we're struck by the truth from the Word of God and we have a choice to make. We can either ignore that message. Please don't. We can either in anger as it's raised up upon us as, as our sins are being, as it were, held to the fire. We can attack the man at the door. But that's also a dangerous place to be. If the man is faithfully preaching the true word of God, it's as Spurgeon says, he's delivering the meal. The best thing to do. The best thing to do is to bring it to God. 1 John 1 9 says, Confess. Confess. Confess to one another. If you've sinned against your wife, seek forgiveness, but confess it to God. Why do I say that? Because there's an hour coming, and in fact, it's already here. When preachers, men who bring forth the whole counsel of God, are going to be, and in fact are, persecuted for the message we preach. If a liberal Congress has its way, preachers will be imprisoned if they preach against LGBTQ, which is wrong. It's sinful. It goes against the word of a holy God, and we should have nothing to do with it. When preachers preach that same-sex marriage is unlawful and in fact is a stench in the nostrils of a holy God, we will be persecuted. When we stand and we say that abortion is the murder, the murder of innocent babies in the womb, we will be persecuted. The very gospel itself the very truth of Christ dying on a cross in these days is being labeled hate speech. The days are coming, and in fact, they're right here. When those who dare to stand for the truth are going to face hardship, are going to face persecution, are going to face their head on a platter. And this morning, dear saint, I ask you, I urge you, I plead with you. Are you ready? John had courage. John looked right in the eyeballs and he spoke the truth. 
we in our day need to do the same. From here, but also in the areas that we move in our day-to-day dealings. Are we ready? Are we ready? Herod disliked that message so much. But yet, Herod protected John. Herodias wanted his head on a platter way before it even happened. She refused to forgive John for what he had preached and so she held that hatred in her heart for the man of God. Herod's confusion is clear to see. He heard what John said. He knew he was telling him truth about his sins. And yet he kept John around. But isn't that the same in our day? Between the preacher and some of those that we preach to. They hate it when sin is exposed and they they sit and in their hearts they think he's getting at me. And yet when trials come, it's the first person they call. The preacher is the herald of the word of God, not his words. Because you see, Herod was so confused. But yet he heard John. Look at verse 20. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe when he heard him. He was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Herod had a fear for John the Baptist, because he knew that John was a man of God, a righteous man. He observed John, and and he kept John the Baptist safe under constant guard. He didn't want anything bad to happen to John. And when Herod heard John preach, he he did many things. He, He kept him safe. He was perplexed. He had that conflict of soul. He heard the truth and he recognized it as truth. Complete confusion. Even as believers, when we read that, we wonder what is going on. And yet, no doubt, Herod tried to do good things. Well, I'll keep him safe. I'll not kill him. The saddest. And one this week that had your pastor weeping in his study is those last few words. He heard him gladly. The idea is that Herod enjoyed He enjoyed hearing John preach the word of God. And yet he did nothing with it. This morning, do you enjoy hearing the word of God? As the people of God, we should say, Amen, yes, of course we do. But I speak to you this morning if you know not Christ. How do you hear the word? This man heard it gladly. 
and yet a soul is in hell. There are many people, in, like just like Herod in our world this day, who they get caught up in the preaching or the personality of the man, but they miss the point of the message. They hear their favorite preacher, but they have absolutely no intentions of doing anything that the Bible tells them to do. This morning, if you're here and God speaks to you, run to him. He was showing you even this morning, even in God's mercy, you are here one more Sunday. This morning you will even see this table of remembrance spread out and delivered. Of one who bled and died for you. This morning he shows you mercy and love and he cares that you are here hearing the word. But I ask you this morning, how do you hear? Do not be like Herod and play around with these things of God. Herod kept John and he treated him like he was a pet parrot. He treated the word of God like he could do as he pleased with it. This morning I urge you to waken up. No longer gladly hearing with deaf ears, but gladly hearing with ears that love to hear the words of God. Herod seared his conscience. He heard the things of John, and what did he say? No. If the Lord this morning, and even in recollection of weeks gone past, has been speaking to you and your life before him, this morning you need to obey his voice. He says, come. Come. Come without delay. Come without waiting for tomorrow or the next day or the next time that you gladly hear these things. No, come today. Why? Because you may not wake up in the morning. To do otherwise, to delay and to wait, to do anything other than come today is deadly. Because it secondly takes us into this morning Herod's crime. And it was a crime. These verses give us the tragic death of John the Baptist. A mighty, mighty, fearless man of God. But a man who was sacrificed on the altar of hatred, self-gratification, and lust. See, Herodias had been biding her time. She'd heard those things. She had hatred, hatred in her heart for John. And she had been waiting for an opportune moment to see John the Baptist, the one who spoke these things against her, put to death. And here in these verses, this, this chance came. It was a birthday party. 
This party that we read off wasn't just the mere words that we read off. And because of the crowd this morning, I won't say what was in my notes. But let's just say it would have made the hairs in the back of your neck stand on edge. And this woman, seeing her opportune moment, sent her daughter to dance for this man. And not only for him, but for all of his friends. This was not some dancing that you'd see in a ballroom, but no, this was something you would see in a seedy and horrible place. Why? Because it was to entice the passions of the very men in that room. These, these dances were performed by professional dancers hired for this very event. But here, this woman, this woman who hated John the Baptist saw a time when she could pull on the weakness of her husband. She had wickedness in her heart. She put her own, her daughter on display in a fashion that is not fitting for any woman to be in. What complete wickedness. And of course she knew her husband, or her so-called husband. She knew his weaknesses. She knew that Herod's passions would be, would be driven up. And so it was. But look at how foolish he was. This girl did a dance. It enticed him. And he says, I'll give you half, up to half of what I've got. It was that foolish boast that was designed to make Herod look amazing in front of his friends and in front of his guests. And the girl runs to seek advice to see what she should ask from, from her king. There isn't a moment of hesitation here. It's not like half an hour or an hour goes past, no. Without hesitation, that mother tells her daughter to go back and request the head of the man in whom she despises. But something to note. Even the girl adds her own sadistic plot upon it. Why? She requests that she wants it served up on a platter. In those days, when the meal was being presented, normally most of the food would be already set out except for the main dish the meat that would be given. And it wasn't until all the guests were seated and the banquet was laid out and the wine began to flow that suddenly, on a platter, in would walk the feast that was given. Here at this time, she asks for that very same thing. Herod immediately knows that he's made a mistake. Remember back there in verse 20, he kept him safe. He had looked after him. He had, he had liked to hear what John had said. He was perplexed by these things. 
and yet because of pride. Because of pride, he gives that young girl what she asked for. And Mark tells us immediately, without delay, John the Baptist is beheaded. And that grisly trophy is then presented to both the girl, her mother, and all that is around. John the Baptist is now dead. His disciples come and they take his body and they bury it. And as we read these verses, we are witnessing, as Spurgeon would say, the very death of a conscience. He refused to accept the word of God and to abide by it. He listened to the preaching of John numerous times and repeatedly after John had spoken, he said no to the word of God. And here he has, as it were, crossed that line and done the unthinkable. He's put a very man to death. A man whom he had admired. A man who he was perplexed by. But because of the anger of his wife and the pride of his heart and the searing of his conscience, John loses his head. What a tragic scene. But in these verses, there are lessons for us. They reveal to us if we take Herodias first of all. We can see the devastating power of hatred, of bitterness, of having an unforgiving spirit. She hated John so much, she wanted him dead. The Bible tells us over and over again and even Ephesians 4:32, Matthew 18:21 and 22, and Luke 17:1 through5, that we as believers are not to live this way. We are not to hate our brother. We are not to be bitter towards one another. We are not to have an unforgiving spirit. How are we doing with that this morning? Do we love one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord? Is there bitterness in our hearts towards one another? Is there an unforgiving spirit? Then I urge you this morning, confess. Seek forgiveness. God is the only one who can help us. And through his word, he tells us that if we confess our sins, that he doesn't just swat us out of the way and say, well, I'll think about it. No. He forgives us our sins. But these verses also, young people, they reveal the very danger of peer pressure. I'm 40 years old. And I can still vividly remember the day behind a wall at my house that my cousin handed me a cigarette 
and asked me to smoke. Peer pressure. I said yes. Took one puff and thought I was about to die. And never did it ever again. But young person this morning, those of you who are believers, can I encourage you this morning? In fact, I urge you, I beg of you, live a life that is pleasing to God and not your friends. Make sure you have good friends, faithful friends, friends that stick closer than a brother, friends that will actually tell you when you do something wrong. That is a true friend. And just because others are doing stupid stuff doesn't mean that you have to follow their lead. Be careful who your friends are. Parents, know who your children hang out with. Know who their so-called best friend is. Don't become an FBI agent and stalk everything. But engage and ask and have these people into your home. Why? Because it's what God has called us to do. We have to be faithful to the words of God. And just because others drink, because others do drugs or or they engage in premarital sex or they're hooked on a, a pornography or they're addicted to many other things, doesn't mean that you have to do it. In fact, as a believer, you must not do it. The Word of God tells you so. If that's what your friends are doing and you're a believer, they're not your true friends. Young people, I urge you this morning, see the danger of peer pressure, even in our day, conforming to small things that lead on to bigger. Keep your eyes Open to these things. As it were, have your tentacles on red alert in the days that we live in. And then these verses reveal the real danger of not taming our tongue. A few weeks ago, Pastor Briggs preached an awesome sermon on James 3. If you weren't here to hear it or you didn't listen to it, can I highly recommend it to you? But he did say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a load of rubbish. Our tongue can be one of the most wicked and dangerous things that we possess. Believer, be careful. Here, this man, in all of his stupidity, just blurted out what he thought everyone would want to hear. And didn't count the ramifications. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you say it. And be aware that your words can and could harm others and their life. Because thirdly, that brings us, and very quickly, all the way back to verses 14 through 16. Herod's conscience. When Herod had heard of what Jesus was doing, 
his conscience made one last attempt towards the truth. By this time, it had been so ignored and so abused that it's hardly even functioning. And yet, look at the very grasp of a dying conscience. Because as soon as Herod hears about the miracles and the message and the ministry of Jesus, he right away assumes that it's John. He leaps to the conclusion that it's John raised from the dead. How could a man who I saw the very head on a platter now be doing these miracles and wonders and the guilt is eating him alive? In his heart, he knows that he killed an innocent, a decent, and a good man. And his conscience is so bothering them that John the Baptist has come back from the dead. That's the power of guilt. It eats us alive. We can't run from it. We can't hide from it. We can't escape its words. It it shows up when we're alone. Guilt comes calling, as, as Spurgeon says, in the very dead of night, and it gnaws at the soul, and it eats away at the mind. The only solution for guilt over past sins is to bring it to Christ. When we bring our sins to Christ, he forgives us our sins and he removes that guilt. Listen again to his promise. I've said it three times now and I hope you're getting it, but I'll say it again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dear saint, that is you this morning. He is faithful, not you. You're the sinner. But he is faithful. And he is just to forgive us our sins. What a great God we serve. Herod said, I, I have beheaded. Herod is is confessing his guilt, but there is no forgiveness. There's no repentance. There is no salvation. In these verses, we read the death of a conscience. It's one thing to know you are guilty of sin. It's another thing altogether for you to get honest about that sin. When we are honest and we repent of our sins, the Bible tells us he will forgive us. True repentance. I urge you this morning, where do you stand before a holy God? See, Herod would see Jesus. In Luke 23, the final mention of this Herod that we read off in the Word of God is found in those verses. Christ had been arrested. He appeared before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate sends him off to Herod. And what does he want? He wants Jesus to perform 
He hadn't learned from the first time the ramifications of those things, and he's looking at this time for some spiritual entertainment. And our Lord Jesus refuses to open his mouth. This man will have no more opportunities. This man's conscience is so, so scarred that he has no compassion or love for the very one before him. This morning, where do you stand? In a few moments, we will gather around this table of remembrance. A sober and a serious thing. We all have birthday parties and we enjoy them and it's good food and it's good fellowship. But here we feast and we look upon Christ. These things are serious. So much so that we even, as people call it, fence it in. Why? Because it reminds us of what Christ has done for us. This morning, do you believe in Christ? Or do you not? Have you heard Christ this morning gladly? I hope you hear him this morning with ears to hear with eyes that are open to see Christ this morning, both sinner and saint alike, do not play around with spiritual matters. Believers, if we need to confess, do it. Lovingly, caringly to one another. If we do not know Christ, then come and confess your sins to him. This morning, I urge all of us, repent and believe. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it pricks us to our very core. We know that we are not what we should be, but we as believers are not what we once were. Oh Lord, help us in these days to live our lives according to your word and to be in your word and to be faithful to it. Lord, let us not play around with these things. There are even so many in Christian circles who hold so loosely to the word of God. May it not be for us. Help us to be faithful. We cannot do this in and of ourselves. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would enable and encourage us. We pray, O oh Lord, this morning for those who have come into this congregation week after week, month after month, and in fact, year after year, and still do not know you. Lord, in your mercy, save their souls. We pray that even today that they would not hear these words gladly, but that they would hear them with fear and with trembling before a holy God, and that they would be like that jailer crying out, Lord, what must I do to be saved? 
Lord, we pray. We beg of you this morning to save souls in our congregation. Lord, enable us now as we come around your table. Help us to see the glory and the wonder of Christ. That indeed he has paid it all on our behalf. Lord, even when we walk through difficult and hard times, remind us, even off this table, that we can remember, that we can know that indeed this is not our home, that through the shedding of blood that we have an eternal salvation if we're found in Christ. We pray that we would do it reverently this morning. Help us to examine our own hearts. And help us to do it according to what your word tells us to do. Lord, even help us now as we raise our voices in singing. And may we do it to your glory and to your honor. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Please turn your hymn book.